see how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Amen. There's a lot of significance in this psalm as it, the one who wrote it, uh, as he wrote it, he was remembering his history, the history of uh, when um, the nation of Israel, or particularly Judah, was in peril and how God came to their rescue. And for us who today are living in the New, Te- New Testament time, we can see some definite um, implications here that of, what, uh, of how God rescues us today. And particularly here in verse 4 and 5 where it talks about a river brings joy to the city of our God because we know that the city of our God is, of course, the church. The church, Paul says, is the city of God and the sacred home of the Most High. God abides within his people, within his church, the church of Jesus Christ. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. That's why Jesus said, didn't he? He said that that, uh, even hell cannot prevail against the church, that uh, nothing can destroy God's people the, the collective faith, the collective group. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church, the people of God. Nothing can destroy them. You know, I mean, they can destroy the physical body, but nothing can destroy our faith. Nothing can destroy our souls. God will protect us. Even though the nations are in chaos and the kingdoms crumble, God's voice still thunders and the earth melts. So we're going to look at this today, and now I want to talk to you about as we continue our understanding of how to become more intimate in prayer with the Lord this the importance of learning a time of silence there's a wise uh, the wisest man actually in the old testament instructs us that there is a season for everything and you will remember these scriptures in ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 solomon says there there's, there's a time for every activity under heaven there's a there's time for it so there, there's a every he lists then several activities that have a time slot there's a time to plant there's a time to harvest. There's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. So there we have biblical downsizing. You know, there is a time to get rid of stuff, everybody. You know, so you don't need to keep stuff piled up in your house. You really can. The Bible says there's a time to keep it. There's a time to throw it away. Becky, are, now we're, one of our goals this year is to get rid of some of her stuff. And my stuff too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a reason I know I kept it. I just can't find it. <laughs> that's the, that's that. That's the trouble. I just have to go out and buy new ones because I can't find the old one. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, Solomon tells us this, and among the many items that Solomon lists here, he writes this in verse seven, verse seven b. He says this amongst all these things, these diff- different times for things. He says, "There's a time to be quiet." There's a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. Yeah. Some people, they don't know about the quiet part. They're always talking, you know. But, but Solomon says, there's a time to be quiet, a time to be silent, there's a time to speak. I'm sure many a mother today has said to a noisy, mouthy, even out-of-control child, you know, hush, silence is 
golden, right? Yeah, I, I heard that. I mean, I'm sure you heard that too. You know, I didn't know what it meant, but I, I know that I was told that. Um, it's from an old proverb that goes this way. Speech is silver. Silence is golden. That's where it comes from. So speech is silver, but silence is golden. There's similar proverbs like still waters, you know, quiet waters run deep. In other words, people who learn how to be quiet, they think about serious things. They like, there's important things in their life, and so they, they value them. And so they, uh, that's the reason why they value them is because they're not always blabbing. They're not always talking. They're not, they're, they get quiet sometimes and think about important things. Another one is this. Empty vessels make the most sound. <laughs> Empty vessels. People who don't have anything, you know, who don't seem to have any much in their characters, or they just talk all the time, and they and they get in trouble all the time. Um, reminds me of my father-in-law, um, and I think I might have mentioned this a long time ago. But my father-in-law, when I first came to know Becky and Jenny, because Jen, Jenny was part of that household too but I remember the Hershey household there there was a bulletin board up above in the kitchen above the radiator that had family notes on it you know things from dad and mom things and dad would just sometimes dad wouldn't say anything he just would stick a note up there you know like a warning you know judgments coming if you don't straighten up um, but he'd put these little notes up there and I remember one that was up there man all the years I went to that house because even after he passed away nobody had the courage to take it down um, that um, uh, it, it, it was a quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln that said, best to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. You remember that one? I mean, you know that one. That, that's a very familiar one. Again, best to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Some people say Mark Twain said that too. So there's a big toss-up about who actually said that. But there's an Aramaic proverb that said, if a word is worth one shekel, silence is worth two. I like that. If a word is worth one shekel, silence is worth two. So there seems to be this thought in all cultures that, you know, uh, there's important time for silence. There's important time to be quiet. Solomon says further in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, too much talk leads to sin. That's really true. Too much talk leads to sin. This is for people in Washington, D.C. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Boy, that's good counsel. Proverbs ten nineteen. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Boy, I tell you, have you ever seen that when people, they just keep blabbing on you and think, boy, you're right on the edge of sinning. Oh, you've stepped into it. You know, you've, you've gone on and you've now, now you've done something wrong. You've said something wrong. You know, our culture does not value silence. Have you noticed that? It doesn't value silence today. It's difficult for people to quiet their souls. Uh, you know, I notice this about kids. And if there's one thing that parents need to do is to teach their children to not be so loud. And it's not just because I'm getting older. It's that, that when you're loud, it's chaotic. Especially when there's five of you loud. It's chaotic. It's best to quiet down. Kids, you have to learn to be quiet. If you can't learn yourself, I'm going to teach you. <laughs> you know, because it's so important that you learn to get control of your chaotic little souls. Well, you're just not running wild, playing 
in chaos, playing in so much noise that we can't even hear ourselves speak. I think it's a problem in today's culture, at least American culture, even in Christian homes, where children aren't taught to quiet. You don't need to speak so loud. You can have fun and still not be screaming. There's, a, there's, something, there's something about uh, our culture just doesn't want to be quiet. Um, we've been conditioned to live with lots of noise and distractions that would have driven people 200 years ago would have driven them cuckoo. Matter of fact, uh, in a thousand years ago, if people were, if you were to bring someone back from the dead a thousand years ago, bring them into our culture, they would go bonkers. They would go bonkers with the noise. The noise that is, that are, we consider normal uh, today in our society. No one knows who exactly discovered the formula for gunpowder. There's all kinds of thoughts about who, who actually invented that. Some people say that there are references to gunpowder as far back as the year 142 AD, and it was created by the Chinese. Others say, no, it was the 9th century and possibly by a German monk. But regardless, we have gunpowder. But, uh, and also regardless, uh, the, the reaction to the invention of gunpowder in the culture was the same, no matter what time we date it. We, we get this reaction from people who heard the explosive noise of gunpowder. I mean, it's a historical record that when people, all of a sudden when they heard these explosions from cannon fire, from, from rifle fire, from gunfire, that this was so loud, they believed it was demonic. They said, this has to be the devil. This is too loud. It's too distracting. It's fearful to have all this noise. And this was the invention of gunpowder. Matter of fact, they actually believed that that um, when there were, when we fired a gun, that there was a demon that was lodged inside the gun, and that when the bullet this when it left the muzzle, there's with a loud explosion, that a demon was riding on the bullet all the way and, and to its intended object. They thought that these noises are not good for us. These noises. This is what they thought back. Again, at the invention, when gunpowder first came into existence, or we discovered it. The uh, serious thoughts, you know, we, 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 we know that, you know, we know that most likely the devil doesn't ride on a bullet, but, but the, I think the thought here is that the, the, the point is serious thoughts require quiet. Um, noise does catch up with us, even today. It does catch up with us, doesn't it? We, we try to endure it. We, we get conditioned to it. But it does catch up with us eventually and it creates this inward stress. Sometimes I think we're stressed. And we say, what's wrong with me? I wonder what's wrong with me. I feel so frazzled today, you know. And um, uh, Noise, you know, uh, can be dangerous and it causes people to lose their hearing. Thus, we're often warned to wear hearing protection when working around loud noises. Sometimes I see mothers with earplugs in. That's why I got Amanda some. I'm not <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more protected of, of my hearing, hearing these days because uh, my ears ring all the time and I'm, I'm not as sharp as I, as I used to be when it comes to hearing things, so I try to protect it. But, but um, a uh, few years ago, uh, 
I remember I was down in Indianapolis and it was, uh, they had warned us already it was time for the cicadas to emerge. Remember, every, depend on the species of cicada. Uh, sometimes, some species every 17 years, some it's 13, sometimes it's 7. It just depends on the, on, the, on the species. Well, this particular year they warned us. They said, it's the year for the cicadas. You might remember this. It was, it's been at least 10 years ago or so. But I remember they were just, just a, like a plague. I'm sorry, this thing keeps cracking. Uh, there, there, was just a, there was just a plague of, of cicadas in the air and in the trees. And one day I was outside working. And I was working, uh, doing a project out, outside. And the longer I was out there, I, and the cicadas were just buzzing, you know, just horrendously loud. And I was, I'm working and, and uh, suddenly I'm starting to feel anxious. I'm, I mean, this nervous feeling inside. And I thought, what in the world's wrong with me? And I went inside and it went away. And then I found out that cicadas, they emit a charge, that the, the sound of their buzz is at a frequency that is really, well, if you listen to it for any length of time, it begins to irritate you and stress you. You don't even know it's happening, but you're, you're getting anxious because of that noise that is, that is happening. Um, we require, God created us, loved ones, with a need for food, with a need for water, a need for sunshine, a need for oxygen, a need for rest, a need for sleep. But I can tell you something. He's also created us with a need for silence. We need silence. We need quiet. Jesus has taught us that we, we were created to learn to pray and prayer is much more than just filling up the air with words and telling God what we need, what we want. Prayer is learning to hear from God, our Heavenly Father. Prayer is learning to think the right thoughts about God. Loved ones, let me tell you something. You can have one of the best prayer times of your life if you just, on one day, you don't say a word to God. Just be quiet. And when you go to your prayer time, yeah, I know you might have your prayer plan, your prayer strategy. Don't say a word. Sometimes you just need to listen. You just need to be quiet. You need to be silent. Prayer is, again, is learning to think the right thoughts about God. It's learning to hear from God, our Heavenly Father. And prayer is learning to um, restfully rely upon Him from the very beginning of your prayer time. I don't know if this will make any sense to you, loved ones, but prayer is first and foremost learning to enjoy being with God. That's really what it is. That's what Jesus, I think, overall is trying to convey to us as he's trying to get, give the disciples a new understanding of how wonderful the Heavenly Father is and how enjoyable he is to be with. That it's not a duty just to check off, okay, I was with God today, Whew, got that out of the way. No, prayer is first and foremost something uh, that God wants us to learn to, just, it's a learning to enjoy being in his presence. People who, you know, it's kind of like, the more you love somebody, whether it's your spouse or a friend, the more you get to know them, the more you love them, don't you find yourself wanting to be with them? You just enjoy being with them. You don't even have to talk. Just knowing that you're there and I'm here and that we're doing our, we're puttering around or whatever. I'm so glad to be with you. 
That's what happens when love begins to grow between people. And I think that's what prayer, that Jesus is trying to convey to us through all these messages we've been having on prayer, is that prayer is, first of all, learning to just enjoy being with God. Where you don't have to. It's a matter of just, I just want to. I just enjoy Him. Um, Dr. David Busick, our general superintendent, he writes about a Christian lady who says this. He says, if you're looking for God, God is in the pause. I like that. If you're looking for God, well then, stop. Shut up. <laughs> God is in the pause. There's a lot of truth in that. We usually don't think about being quiet in God's presence, but instead we fill up our time with words, don't, don't we? And uh, Psalm 62 verse 1 says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. My soul waits in silence. And again, it takes practice. It takes practice to learn to be silent. It takes practice to learn to be quiet in God's presence. Sometimes the old Quakers, they used to have their, their, a time when they would take every year where they would say, I'm going to go, I'm going to speak for the next week. I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm going to be quiet. Some of you who have taken the Emmaus road walk, you know, uh, and the various kind of, you know, uh, ministry uh, projects like that where you go away for the weekend and the goal is not to talk. You eat your meals with other people but you don't talk. You're just quiet. You learn quietness. You learn to be quiet so that, that God, you can more, be more sensitive to the, the voice of God, His impressions upon your soul. Now, uh, just, just waiting silently before God, just being quiet, again, not daydreaming, but just simply waiting in silence, expecting Him to speak to your spirit. That's what the Bible says. I, my soul waits in silence for God only. You know, God, he, um, he does speak loudly at times. There are times when He does speak loudly, endeavoring to get people's attention. But it's so interesting how they oftentimes mishear Him. People mishear God when He's loud. Um, because they haven't learned to understand Him in the quiet, they don't always understand him when he's loud. There's a case of this in John chapter 12, verse 29, where Jesus is teaching the people. He's teaching them, and he's talking about how that pretty soon he's going to be glorifying God through his death on the cross. And suddenly, as Jesus is speaking, he's just, he, he said, I'm going to glorify God through you know, what I came to do, offering myself up. And suddenly, there's a voice from heaven. Wouldn't that be something to hear that? A voice from heaven that says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus heard it plain as day. But everybody else around Jesus, they only heard what? Thunder. They heard thunder. God was speaking loudly. I mean, that's pretty loud. I will glorify it. I will glorify it again. Jesus heard it. He said, the voice, this voice was actually for your benefit, not mine, because I, I, I know God. But you didn't hear him, did you? You couldn't hear him. He was, he was, just, he was just thunder to you. You didn't understand his words. <laughs> there, um, there's a case where... Um, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, where you know the story well, but where the prophet Elijah, he's an excellent example for us, where he became so discouraged 
and depressed after this national revival failed. He thought a national revival was going to come. Remember, he was on Mount Carmel and he had this contest between God and between the, the false prophets you know, of, of Baal. And, and God, he destroyed the, or he burned up all the sacrifice. He burned up the, the rocks. He burned up the dirt. He burned up the water, everything. You know, you remember that story. Well, Elijah's thinking a national revival is going to come, but it didn't come. And Jezebel, Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you because you killed all my prophets yesterday. And you can read the story there. I believe it is in uh, 1 Kings there, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19. But um, the, Elijah is so depressed and down that he takes off running. He says, he, he runs away and he's so discouraged and he wants God just to kill him. I'm done, God. I, I, my life's worthless. I haven't accomplished anything for you. And uh, I'll make a, well, I'll just kind of shorten the story. God, um, he directs him to go to a place called Mount Horeb, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the same name. And so Elijah takes off and he gets this special food and, and drink and he's able to run and walk for like 40 days, 40, 40 nights. And he's able to get to Mount Horeb. And the Bible says there, the story, as, as he goes into a cave and he sleeps for the night. So Elijah is sleeping for, for the night. The next day, the Lord calls to him and says, Elijah, come, come outside the cave. You, you know. And as he's standing on the ledge there of the cave entrance, suddenly there was, a, there was a great windstorm that came by. I mean, so strong that it knocked the rocks off of the mountains. They were falling down everywhere. And then there was suddenly, a, there was an earthquake, a rumbling. I imagine probably Elijah was probably teetering, you know, like, oh, wow. And then there was this roaring fire that came by. I mean, have you ever heard of fire that's, that's really big? It, it's, it's loud. And the Bible says, but God was not in those things. It's interesting. He wasn't in all that noise. And the Bible says what? That Elijah, he heard what this small, quiet, gentle whisper. That was God's voice. Was instructed. Matter of fact, the Hebrew says it this way. There was a sound of fine silence. It says, Elijah heard a gentle whisper. There was a sound of fine silence. And in the silence, God was able to communicate with Elijah and restored his soul, encouraged him, and told him that I'm not finished with you, Elijah. I got a plan and purpose for you yet. And gave him instructions what to do. And told him that there were 7,000 that had not bowed down to Baal, that God still had his people back in the nation there. And so that God's work wasn't finished. Many years later, let me tell you, there was, uh, after Elijah's, there's, many years later, this good king by the name of King Hezekiah became king of uh, Judah. And there was, uh, Judah was just, just a small nation. Israel was to the north. They were, they, were, they were small. There was ten tribes in the north and two tribes down in Judah. Uh, Judah and Benjamin were down there. And, uh, so they, but they were two different nations. Well, there was a giant empire by the name but, but called Assyria. And uh, the king of Syria was called Sennacherib. And Sennacherib was just coming, he was moving westward, destroying all these countries, just wiping them out. All the false gods, he was destroying them. And he was real proud of himself. And because, and you know, uh, he was bent on power and getting and conquering more nations. And when he, he conquered Israel, he wiped out the ten tribes and put them into exile. So there came a day when he said, let's go after Judah also. And so he sent a letter to Hezekiah and said, listen, you may as well give up now. I've conquered all these nations. I've conquered all these countries. I've conquered all their gods. 
Your God's not going to help you either. I'm stronger than your God, so you may as well give up now. Once you just spare your lives, we'll, we'll send you into slavery exile. And Hezekiah, you know, he, uh, he of course, is worried just like we, we, we would be. And he goes, he takes the matter to the Lord in prayer. And he goes to prayer and the prophet Isaiah comes to him and tells him the Lord is going to rescue us. This is what the Lord says. The Lord assured King Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah that Assyria, listen to this, wouldn't shoot one arrow at Jerusalem. This mammoth colossal army is not going to shoot one arrow towards you. Wow. Matter of fact, they won't even march against the city. I mean, they were already outside the city. They were camped all around. And I don't know if you can imagine how many hundreds of thousands those, those kind of armies had. But you're going to understand here in just a second. But they, they're not going to even march against the city. They're not even going to build any siege ramps up against Jerusalem's walls. Instead, they're going to turn tail and they're going to retreat back to the capital city of Nineveh. And that night... An angel of the Lord, one angel of the Lord went out among that vast Assyrian army and get this, killed 185,000 soldiers. <laughs> can, you put, can, can you fathom that? 185,000? <laughs> I mean, that just blows my mind to think that in one night and one angel slaughtered that many soldiers and the next morning when the remaining troops awakened and they saw all that carnage, the king, King, king Sennacherib, he, he just said, whoa, I'm getting out of here. And the remaining army, they vamoosed back to Assyria where just a little while later, as King Sennacherib, as he's worshiping in his, the temple of his false god, his two sons have had enough of him and they assassinate him there. What amazing great victory. And now we have Psalm 46. A number of years later, a song is written remembering this great victory and encouraging the present people that the God who rescued the nation years ago is still the same God who can rescue them today or them at that time. And loved ones, I'll just say it this way. He's the same God who can rescue us today. Rescue his people. Amen? In any overwhelming trouble. In any overwhelming trouble. God, and that's why these words then mean so much. God is our refuge, our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 46.1. He's our refuge. He's the one that we abide in. He's the one we hide in. He's the one we're quiet in and just let him take care of us. Amen? Sometimes we don't, we don't tell him what to do. We say, Lord, here's the, here's the problem. And then just shut up and just abide. Just take refuge in him. Trust him. For he is ready to help us in our time of trouble. So remind yourself that God is our safe protection, our safe, our, our, our strength for any overwhelming trouble, anything that's worrying you, anything that's taking away your sense of security. Remember that he is your security. He's always ready to help you. In verses 2 to 3, he is, he is greater than even nature. He's greater than any earthquake. He's greater than storms and hurricanes and tornadoes. And, and we don't need to fear. And then it goes on to say he's greater than all the enemies of God's people. Even government powers. Verses 4 to 5 says God dwells in his people. In his church. In the body of his son. It cannot be destroyed. God will protect his people. 
verses 6 to 9. It says, Our Heavenly Father will frustrate the nations. In other words, behind the scenes, He's guiding them into positions and, making, and leading them into decisions that will result in their destruction, that will result in their crumbling. His heavenly armies are in charge of all this. Yeah. So today as you see the nations in an uproar, you know God's at work, loved ones. He's at work. He's at work behind the scenes. He knows what the end is going to be. And he's orchestrating things to be the way, to making, causing nations to make decisions now that will lead them down a certain path to their certain destruction without him. Verses 6 to 9 says that he frustrates the nations. He frustrates them. His, his heavenly armies are in charge of that. Well, so what are you and I to do in the midst of all this noise and the trouble and the worry that come upon us? Well, we're to quiet ourselves. Verses 10 to 11 says, So be still. Shh. Be still. Be quiet. Be silent. And discover God to be God. Rest. Don't, don't talk. Just rest your weary spirit, trusting Him to do what you could never do. <laughs> I'm reminded of the scene in the film, The Sound of Music. You Maybe it's been years since you saw that movie. I, I remember this particular scene. I remember a few scenes in that movie which were, uh, had some pretty strong principles of good in it. And um, in one particular scene, when the Von Trapp family is fleeing from the Nazis, they, they were running away from the Nazis, and they were hiding in the graveyard in the abbey. You might remember that scene. It's at night. They're hiding in the graveyard at the abbey behind some tombstones. And the Nazis, they're, uh, they're actually, this, the, the graveyard, they had, a, they had a locked gate, a locked fence there that, they, that um, the Nazis couldn't get through. So they were taking their flashlights and they were trying to look in the graveyard to see if they could see any people in there. You know, living people that is. You know, they could see anybody in there. And, uh, and of course the Von Trapps are hiding, remember, behind, behind the tombstones, behind the pillars of the, of the, of the ma mausoleum. And um, one of the little girls asked Maria, who had just become her stepmom, she says, is this a good time to sing, to sing of our favorite things? Remember? Because when you sing your favorite things, it helps the blues to go away, you know? And Maria said, oh no, honey, no, no. This is the time. We must be absolutely still. Yeah. Be quiet, be still, and know that I'm God. There's times to talk, there's times to sing. There's times, that, oh, no, no, no. It's absolutely essential that you be still. You need to hear from God. You need to shut off the words yourself. And say, God, nothing but your words will do for my situation. <laughs> Singing is good at times, of course, but there are moments when nothing but silence is going to do. I recall a time in my ministry that I was at a very low point, and I'm going to close with this 
illustration here, this true story that happened to me. I was at a very low point. I think it was back in 2003. And people who I was ministering to and had ministered with and just endeavored to love and serve with all my might for some reason had turned away from me and had just kind of turned their backs and on me. It was really painful and a hurtful time in my ministry. And I remember I fell into a depression and believed that my ministry was over. I thought, boy, what am I going to do? I, this is all I know to do. I, 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 Lord, I, is it over for me here? And the, the, the problem came to a head one early morning. I slipped into our guest room and to try to try to hear from my Heavenly Father. And I remember as I lay up on the floor with my face buried in the carpeting, I had no words. Just a deep feeling of loss and a hopeless future. And it was one of the worst days in my walk with Jesus. Just was. Just one of the worst days ever. And it still has been. That was still probably the most despairing time that I can remember in my walk with Christ. And I didn't have anything to say because I couldn't think of an answer. Couldn't think of anything. I couldn't even think of how to praise God or worship God. I was so distressed by this. But all was quiet. And that early morning hour, and I waited. I just laid my face on the floor and said, God, you, I just, you know my issue. And I waited. And can I tell you what I did? All was still, and I waited. Can I tell you what I did? All was still, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Because I didn't have any answers. And as I waited, and I waited, and I waited, it seemed like, it might have seemed like a long time, because when you feel discouraged and despairing, it seems like it's forever. It probably wasn't that long. But you know what happened? Quietly, this small impression came to my spirit, came to my mind. And I, I was as small as a... Remember when Elijah prayed for the drought to end? And as he prayed, he looked out over the Mediterranean Sea there and he said, uh, he prayed seven times and on the seventh time there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. Remember that? And he said, hey, okay, we better get back to town because it's going to be a great thunderstorm come. <laughs> That's what the impression was like. It was as small as, a, small as a man's hand, you know. And the Lord told me this. He said that I would receive three assurances that my ministry was not over and that he still had plans for me. Just a gentle impression that I would receive three assurances that my ministry was not over and that he still had plans for me. And that was all he said. There was no surge of joy. There was uh, just my, my need to believe what he had told me was true. That morning, I received three phone calls from individuals who had no reason to call except they said that God had impressed my name upon their hearts. Two of them were pastors who I just had a mere, just, I just had mere acquaintances. I, do, I wasn't deep friends with them. I just had a mere acquaintance with, with them. And they called and said, David, you are on my mind this morning. How are you? What is going on? <laughs> and like a small flame catching on and growing, the joy of the Lord began to return in my heart. And stillness had caused me to experience His greatness.
when I had no words to say because there's nothing to say. Be still and know that I am God. So loved ones, sometimes it may take a while, it might take a while, but maybe even years for some of us to finally believe that our Heavenly Father is actually eager to be with us. He's eager to be with us. And that we can enjoy Him. That He's not always looking at our faults because He loves us as much and as the same as He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves us as much as He loves Jesus. So ask Him to help you to put an end to that false, the false images of critical, harsh, and overwhelmingly demanding God who would crush our spirits and discourage our prayers. Sometimes our worlds are just empty and powerless and we just need to be silent and let Him speak first. Being still will remind you that He's everything and that we're really nothing need him. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are so very grateful today that you are a God who teaches us, a God who instructs us, who, who pulls us along at times, and other times you might have to push us along, but although no matter whether it's pulling or pushing, but you're always with us as we are seeking you even if we're stumbling, even if we're, we're failing at times, falling down, what, you're always with us, trying to help us, trying to bless us, trying to show us how much you care about us, trying to show us that how good you are and how much we need you. Or help us to learn to be silent, to practice that. Lord, to, to practice that occasionally than being quiet and letting you speak to us. Lord, to be still and to know your power. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to teach us how to trust you, to let you guide us in our prayer time where we allow you to build our strength up as we're trusting in you first and foremost instead of just barging in trying to say the words that we want to say. Help us to first of all put our lives in your hands and trust you to guide us in our prayer. And Lord, that may be silence at times. I pray today, Lord, that we will be a people here at Mount Hope who know the intimacy and the goodness of prayer in your presence and enjoy being with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, everybody. And uh, again, uh, ladies, I hope that you are blessed today by the people in your life.